Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered, the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode... And Betty Danko went on to become the stunt double for the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. So I don't know if you remember it, but there's a scene where the Wicked Witch flies over Oz and she has a broomstick that's smoking. And that scene wouldn't have happened if it weren't for Lloyd's. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC. And in each episode, I'm joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Paul Miller with us and we are discussing not one but two topics, uh, insurance recruitment and a little bit on insurance history. Paul has been involved in recruitment since 2005 and he is currently a senior consultant at HFG Insurance Recruitment, a specialist agency for the insurance industry. Uh, However, Paul has an alternative life on social media, well, LinkedIn to be more accurate, uh, because for many people... Paul will be better known as that person who regularly posts fascinating snippets of insurance history. Um, I don't know if LinkedIn has influencers, but if it does, then Paul is undoubtedly one of those influencers. So, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for, for having me on. That's a great introduction. I'm, I'm very flattered. Thank you. Now, kind of going back, going back to the beginning of your career, hmm. um, you started out working for a company um, specialising in well-being, um, according to your profile. Yeah, I, I was. I went on a graduate trainee program with a company called Homes Place, so now um, Virgin Active. So it was learning various different aspects of sort of health clubs and sports clubs, the industry, and how to step into a management role doing that. I enjoyed it. It was great fun. I've always been into to sort of health and fitness and sport, but I, I quickly learned there's limited room for growth or progression in that industry. So I started to, to look around and I had a, a few friends at the time that were working in recruitment. There were people that came into the club that worked in recruitment and others that worked in Lloyd's Market. And I used to talk to them quite a lot about what they did and the jobs that they they carried out. It all sounded very interesting. And strangely, my my nan used to work for a Lloyds broker. So she used to tell me about um, her time. She worked at at Holman's. And uh, she used to tell me how people were very kind to her. They looked after her. It was an interesting industry. It did a lot of good. I guess that always stuck in the back of my mind. Um, But I I wanted to move into an industry that was progressive and that, that interested me, really. And insurance kind of ticked all those boxes. I like meeting people. I enjoyed sort of interaction with other people and recruitment ticks that box for me. So the two match together seems to to be a good fit. Um, As I've mentioned, this podcast is going to come in two parts. Um, We're going to kick off with a discussion around uh, recruitment in insurance at the moment. uh, And then we'll discuss your LinkedIn alter ego. Um, So kind of on the recruitment side of things, could you uh, explain to us, just as by way of introduction, what sort of recruitment uh, you personally specialize in and more generally what your company, HFG, does. Yeah, sure. So HFG, we, we as you mentioned earlier, we specialize solely within the insurance industry. So we cover general insurance, life insurance, Lloyd's Market. We work with up and coming technology companies and consultancy firms as well. So we effectively, our company, if you were to pick a, an insurance business out there, be it a broker or insurer, look at all the people within that organization, we recruit them. So essentially, we cover all areas of an insurance business. And my, my particular focus is on broadly the, the banner of compliance. So I focus on finding people that work in regulatory compliance, financial crime, and conduct risk or sanctions. 
So those are the main areas. And I, I, I recruit from, from levels from compliance analyst um, through to head or, or director of compliance. And the people who come to you, on the basis that you are an insurance specialist, they presumably already decided that they want to do an insurance role or they're moving from one insurance job to another one. Is that, is that right? Or, or do you actually attract people from outside the insurance world into the insurance world? A lot of the time when a company will come out to a recruiter like us is because either they, they can't find the individual themselves because there's a particular skill set that they require, or it might be that when they are um, looking to, to bring people in, they've got a particular time budget or, or time scale that they're working to. And so for us, the, the kind of people that we're finding will have particular expertise in the subject matter or a particular area. So typically, I would suggest from senior analyst upwards, most people have experience of working in the market. But to answer your question, I guess, when, when we're talking about sort of entry-level roles or, or people coming in at compliance analysts, there's often a lot more flexibility at that level. And previous guests on the podcast have talked about the fact that insurance is so broad, so wide, that it covers almost any interest um, out there. In fact, you know, if, if, if you're interested in, in animals, then you can do livestock or equine or whatever. If you're interested in fine art, then obviously you can do that. If you're interested in technology, then there's loads of aspects um, to do with technology. Um, if you're interested in the weather, you can do, you know, that there's stuff in, in the insurance world which is, is linked to weather, regulation, law, as you say, sanctions. I mean, is that your experience as well as a recruiter? That actually insurance is so broad, it covers almost any interest out there. There's a role for everyone. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that's that's the, the uniqueness of the industry that we're all involved in. I think that the other aspect to that as well is it's, you can find an interest. So let's take, for example, if you have a, an interest as a teenager in space and you're particularly good at mathematics, you can use your ability or your expertise coupled with your interests. And I don't think there are many industries that do that. Like whatever you're interested in and whatever you're good at, you can couple those two things together to build a career in the industry. And I think that's, for me, that's, that's the most exciting part of it. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it's very exciting. And, and, and the idea of a, a podcast on insurance recruitment was actually a suggestion from, uh, from one of our listeners who contacted me on LinkedIn, for which I'm very grateful. And it goes without saying, if anyone else um, out there, any other listeners uh, want us to record a, a podcast on a specific issue, um, then please email me on peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Anyway, this particular listener, uh, we'll call him Charles, uh, because that actually is his name, I asked, how can someone who has recently graduated enter into a career in insurance? I suppose, what, what, are, the, what are the best ways to access uh, the various insurance professions? So the traditional route, I, I suggest, is graduate trainee program. The, the challenge with those at the moment, if you've recently graduated, is that often they're recruited a year in advance or for the next intake, but they're fantastic. And a lot of firms offer them. If that isn't quite right for you in terms of timing or if you're unsuccessful, there are still ways to get into the market. So I've seen online there are a few positions being advertised at the moment for trainees where experience isn't required. But I believe... To touch on the point we spoke about a short while ago, the industry has opportunities out there that will um, play to people's interests, but also to their abilities. So if I just graduated, for example, and I was looking to join the insurance market, let's say I'm interested in sport. So that would be my starting point. I'd say, okay, so I'm going to look at all the businesses in the market that insure within the sports industry. What do they do? 
What type of work do they carry out and how is it done? Just to familiarize myself with what they do. Then I'd look a bit closer at the types of roles that are within those firms. This is where you start to think about what you're good at. So if you're a relationship builder, for example, you may want to, to look at the broken worlds. And if you then you can couple those two things. So you then got a list of all the um, sports broken houses. Then you get an understanding of the jobs within them. Then I would think about what job I want to do. So it might be a trainee broker, for example. So then I'd find out who within those firms would recruit for that kind of person. I'd make approaches to them, but I'd, within those, I'd make them very specific. So I would talk about what I'm looking to do, why I'm looking to do it, why I think I'd be good at it, and why I'm approaching that person specifically. And all of these things, once you start doing it, the benefit is that before long, you've familiarized yourself with a lot of terms in the market that you may not have done before. So for example, if you're looking at a broken house and they talk about delegated authority, learn what that means. Because when you're at interview, if someone mentions it, then you may have something to add, or at least you can show that you've carried out some research into the market. But I, I think that's key. I think the key part is to, to make direct approaches. Now, where we're at at the moment with the, the COVID crisis is actually creating a little bit of opportunity for people in many ways as well. Focusing on the people that you're interested in learning about what they do, get a better understanding on that, follow the firms that you're interested in working for, get to understand what they're doing. The message sent out to somebody who's a hiring manager, to that person, they will know that they've got somebody there that really wants to do that job. And that often sets you apart in the jobs market. It's not just about finding a job. It's about wanting to do the job that you apply for. Yeah, I, I think that's, that is very, very helpful advice. I, I would uh, I'd certainly concur with the, the, the bit about, I mean, insurance is full of its own jargon. It has a whole lexicon of terms that no, no one else understands. Um, but if you can pick up some of those, uh, then that, that's always going to help. Uh, you touched upon uh, COVID-19. How is that affecting the recruitment market? Is it making it harder for people to get jobs or, or, or is it making no difference at all? I think it's, um, it offers unique challenges, but it also offers um, unique positives in, in many respects as well. There are still roles coming through that are project focused or because there are additional requirements from a regulatory perspective that need sorting people retire. There are still reasons that, that vacancies come to market. So I worked through the last recession and uh, the credit crisis, and that was a completely different thing. You know, firms pulled down the patches and, and just stopped recruiting. There were recruitment freezes in, in many firms, but we're not really experiencing that at the moment. The challenge I would suggest comes from number of applicants to roll. And, and that's the real differentiator. You know, there are people that are being made redundant and there are firms that are reducing their, their headcount for positions that you may only usually get 10, 15 applications. We're now seeing over 100. But if you see that online, don't be put off because, and I, I understand why people do this and I, I, I would likely do the same, but we're finding we're getting applications for people that don't necessarily tick all of the boxes or don't have the relevant experience because they're fearful of not having a job. And I, I understand that. So if you do see lots of people applying for jobs online, it doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't yourself. So that's one of the issues is, is greater competition. On the flip side, I think from on a, a positive way, processes are occurring and, and going through very quickly. So when we're all in the office, it's quite difficult to step out at two in the afternoons, go and interview at another firm for an hour and a half or so. We, we just don't have that issue at the moment. So I placed a lady 
couple of months ago and, and my first conversation with was with her on the Monday and she had a new job by the following Tuesday and it's just because going from first stage to second stage to third stage interview they can be done organized for the following day you know so there, there are challenges but there are also some positives coming from it excellent well we'll come back to recruitment uh, at the end um, but, but let's now discuss LinkedIn um, so, <laughs> so I, I suppose, how do you explain what you do on LinkedIn? I, I put it in your own words. Okay. Um, I'll try and make insurance interesting and fun, I guess, is, is probably the, <laughs> the overriding statement I've used. It, it, it is interesting and fun. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. But it's, it's difficult to know that because it's, it's not spoken about. You know, and I've for a long time I've thought that that the industry doesn't talk about itself as being so. You know, as being interesting and fun. For a long time, companies when they've recruited have spoken about how much money they make, how much growth they've got in different territories. You know, which different business lines they're moving into, which are more successful than the other. And whilst all of that is is important and relevant when you're taking on a job, if I was 22. I would rather work for the company that brokered the deal for the Titanic than I would work for a company that's just grown into two other territories because that wouldn't really hold much interest for me, you know? So I think to, to go back to your point, the, the reason I'm doing it is to make it fun, to make it interesting, to excite people about the work they do, and also just to shine a light on some of the great people that have worked in the industry over the years, and many of them. Yeah, there absolutely are. So, so, do you want to give us a, a couple of examples of the sort of stories, the sort of factual historical snippets that you, you put on, on LinkedIn? Yeah, sure. So, um, there, there are some funny ones, you know, there are more kind of humorous risks that have been covered. So, there was a, a guy in 1949 called George Zuko, who was an actor. He was from Manchester and he moved to Hollywood to star in a number of different films. And Prior to moving to the States, he insured himself against the risk of losing his British accent, which is quite a funny one. I like the stories where they've made a diff, where the market's made a difference to things, right? So uh, one of my favorites is uh, in 1939, the film industry was moving into the golden era of Hollywood. You know, we'd gone out of silent movies and big motion pictures were coming about. But a lot of production companies and film directors were cutting out riskier scenes that were in the movies because if anything happened to the actors, the liability would fall to them and insurers just wouldn't cover them. So they wouldn't cover a major, at the time, an A-list film star to parachute out of a plane, for example. They just wouldn't do it. So this, this scene would be cut out of the film. So a group of underwriters at Lloyd's Club together picked out 25 daredevils and then insured them against any risks against disability deaths that they may experience through performing stunts on film. <laughs> and one of those was uh, a lady called Betty Danko. And Betty Danko went on to become the stunt double for the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you remember it, but there's a scene where the Wicked Witch flies over Oz and she has a broomstick that's smoking. And that scene wouldn't have happened if it weren't for Lloyd's. And there were many others as the, the film industry developed that, that just wouldn't have happened. Pretty much any stunt in a film is because of Lloyd's. So, 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 so Lloyd's created the stunt double industry? That's right, pretty much, yeah. Wow, that sort of makes me think about Tom Cruise, because Tom Cruise does most of his own stunts, doesn't he? So he does, yeah, he does. Is he insured through Lloyd's? He is, yeah. He's, he struggled on a couple of occasions to get insurance. There was, um, is it the Barge Tower that he, he abseiled down? Or, but 
he he does he does get insurance, but it's um it's difficult for Tom Cruise. Yeah, there's there's a few people that are, there's a few people in the um, in the film industry that are slowly becoming uninsurable. Tom Cruise is okay at the moment because he's normally successful in the stunts he does, but it's very expensive to cover him. So yeah, there's there's things like that. I think as as well as kind of the more sort of jovial stories, Lloyd's has obviously helped society in many ways, and I think as we're into black. History Month. There's an, there's an interesting story about the uh, Montgomery um, bus protest. So as you know, Rosa Parks refused to give up a seat to a white passenger. And at that point, the African-American population of Montgomery refused to ride buses. So there was a, a protest. So they clubbed together and they used their own cars as a quasi-taxi service and charged one another the same price as a bus ticket. And uh, Local insurers just pulled their insurance immediately. They got pulled over by police frequently, um, but the insurance cover was pulled from all of them. So they weren't able to carry on with this taxi service, which meant they couldn't go to work, couldn't meet the families and, and so on. So Martin Luther King heard of it. He had a friend, a chap called Theodore M. Alexander, who ran his own insurance agency. And he's a, an insurance pioneer in the States. He was very successful. But Theodore Alexander contacted Lloyd's. And I, I, I do like to think of it that the underwriters were kind of sticking their fingers up at the injustice of it all because they didn't make a huge amount of money out of, of writing it. But they, they underwrote all of the taxes in, in Montgomery through the bus protest. And uh, Martin Luther King made an announcement. He said, we, we now have a cars insured at Lloyd's in London. I don't expect any more insurance problems. So there's things like that. You know, I, I think it's Lloyd's is there to, to not only help develop industries, but also to help society as a whole. Oh, that's great. That is absolutely great. Now, I'm very intrigued to know where you get this information from because um, I've recently written something on the history of insurance and I was stunned by how little there is out there. Um, so, how do you go about your research? Um, I think the word is geek. <laughs> I read a lot, so I um, I love to read books. So it's it's one of my main interests is reading, really. And you'd be surprised how many books have a reference to insurance or, or Lloyd's in it somewhere. But I, I've got access to a number of different newspaper archives. So there's lots of newspapers around the world. It's, it's interesting, actually, because in the 1930s through to the 1950s, 60s, people that worked at Lloyd's were in many respects seen as the celebrities of the day or the society figures of the day. And you'll find that in the US, in many states, there'll be front page newspaper stories about the wedding of a, a member of Lloyd's or there'll be stories about them having children. And it is, there was a lot of interest. So when you do dig back into the newspaper archives, there are a lot of stories there. But yeah, it's, it's from newspapers, archives, from books. I speak to a lot of people in the industry who tell me stories. People share things with me. So I, I've got to know a few different people in there's uh, a chap I've got to know who's the, the great-grandson of Sir Eustace Paulbrook, who was the wartime chairman at Lloyd's. He shared a few things with me now. And Winston Churchill's great-grandson works in the market as well. So there's there's some people that share interesting snippets with me as well. Yeah, no, it's absolutely wonderful. And you've obviously got a reputation for it now because you, you, you're clearly doing something right. Because on LinkedIn, you have, uh, you have over 17,000 followers, which is more than your company, HFG, has. Oh, is it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. So, uh, yeah, no, 17,000 is, is an awful lot of followers on, on LinkedIn. Um, have you ever thought of developing the concept into uh, publishing a book or turning it into a film? Get Tom Cruise to play a role in your film. Um, well, he, he could or, play or me, can't 
Please <laughs> 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 to play me. <laughs> I, um, the, the answer is yes. So I have been writing a book actually. I've been doing it in my own time. So I've been spending sort of an hour or so in, in each evening for a few months now. So my plan is to write a few. When I started to become more interested in, in Lloyd's and the market, I started to read books and there's some great ones out there, you know, really interesting, but they tend to focus a bit more on traditional history, you know? So it will be around the effects of Lloyd's at the San Francisco earthquake, or it might be Lloyd's during the war or with Nelson. And, you know, it's all fascinating, but I think there's a little gap somewhere for this word fund to creep back into the insurance industry. So the book that I'm writing I've pretty much finished it now, but the book that I've done is, is more of a coffee table book about Hollywood and, and the insurance industry. So we'll talk about some of the more quirky stories, so The Wizard of Oz, or some of the publicity stunts that have been used. It's about the links to insurance, how insurance has helped the film industry, but also how the film industry has helped insurance. Well, that'd be brilliant. That'd be brilliant. I'd, I, I, I'm based in Bristol and there's a, there's a bloke called, um, who has a Twitter handle called Weird Bristol, where he does much the same for Bristol that you're doing for the, the insurance world. Um, and he, yeah, he's produced a couple of books, which are fantastic, uh, which are very, very good. Um, I, I, I can also see it on LinkedIn, you describe yourself as, as an ambassador of the insurance museum. Um, and we've just done a podcast, uh, which came out in uh, early October, uh, with Reg Brown, who's the, the chairman of the Insurance Museum. So what's your role with the Insurance Museum and, and, and why do you think it's important that we have one in London? So my role is is really and truly to help support them with a bit of publicity. So I um, have written blogs for the Insurance Museum website and for their LinkedIn page, and I help them out with information and I've introduced people to them that I know through the market. But because of the nature of my job, I speak to a lot of people that work in insurance and nine times out of 10, I'll, I'll try and creep in the Insurance Museum into conversations so that awareness is raised of it. I think it's really important to have one. I really do. And I think for, for a number of different reasons, I think it can, it will be of interest to anyone that currently works in the industry to learn a little bit more about it and the history of the market. I think it, it can help develop pride in the industry by explaining to people that don't work in it just how important insurance is. I think for me, the biggest benefit of having an insurance museum is for talent attraction and also for diversity reasons. You know, we, we talk about diversity a lot in the industry and, and we all know the importance and the benefits of it. But I think the key to getting true diversity is to raise awareness amongst the broadest section of society and the broadest section of the impressionable. So if I were at school and I was taken to the insurance museum, I probably would have thought this is going to be a very, very boring trip, if I'm being honest. But if we walk in and then you see that Lloyd's has been involved in insuring satellites or space travel or enabled that to happen, or it's enabled some of the greatest expeditions to occur, it's helped with medical science, it's helped in sport, it's helped in music, in the entertainment industry, whatever it is, as we touched on before, you can be excited by that. And I think also the other benefit of the insurance museum is that young people will be able to get an understanding of what they can do with their lives and see that there is an opportunity there for them to join this industry. So an insurance museum attracting hundreds of children each year to it and school kids that are going to choose which subjects they're going to take at A-level, for example, it can influence them. And I think we'll see a greater development of younger, or growth of younger people coming into the market who really have an interest in it. 
you must give out advice uh, to people all the time. Um, but if you could only give one bit of advice um, to someone looking for a role in insurance, what, what, what would that snippet of advice be? So I would say ask lots of questions. Firstly, it's, it's a, an industry that's built on developing relationships and people here, here that work in it do actually like helping one another. It's in their own benefit for, for other people to do well in their jobs. So ask lots of questions. Try not to ask the same question twice. You know, <laughs> if someone gives you something um, or tells you something, just go off and read around it yourself. You know, be, be proactive in your learning. That, that's the, the sort of main piece of advice I would give. It's important to be honest and to be true to yourself in the industry as well, because you'll find that if you are honest throughout, your career will excel. You'll have people that want to work with you and people that will respect you and trust you. And, and all of those things combined, I think, will, will not only mean that you'll do well, it'll mean you'll enjoy your career more. But the first, the beginning stages of your career, just ask as much as you can. There's so much knowledge out there in the industry and there's so much experience. It's a market that's been running for hundreds of years and millions of people have worked within it and pass their knowledge on to one another. Take advantage of that. That's what I'd say. Just keep open ears, listen and ask questions. Brilliant, Paul. That was inspirational. Thank you for so much. And I wish you all the best with your book. It sounds absolutely fantastic. So I look, forward to buy, I look forward to buying that in due course. So thank you for your time uh, with us today. And uh, well, thank you very much. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.